It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Friday, June 16th, 2023. I'm Brooke Schaefer with Raven News. Miscommunication and an out-of-date navigational chart were both found to be factors when a Royal Caribbean cruise ship slammed into the dock at the Sitka Sound Cruise Terminal last summer. The National Transportation Safety Board, NTSB, released a 14-page report on the incident late last month. On the morning of May 9, 2022, the radiance of the seas was pulling into port in Sitka when it struck a mooring dolphin. While no injuries were reported in the accident, damage to the pier was estimated at over $2 million, and that part of the dock was unusable for the first half of the summer season while awaiting repair. The 14-page NTSB report details communication between the master, pilots, and the bosun of the ship leading up to the accident. It found that the bridge team had relied heavily on electronic navigational charts to dock the vessel, which included incorrect information about the dock's length. The Sitka Sound Cruise Terminal dock was extended by nearly 400 feet in 2021. The NTSB found that the new length had not been reported to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, which led to the navigational chart being out of date and may have been a contributing factor to the accident. The NTSB also found the master of the ship misunderstood directions and information about the boat's distance from the pier being called out by a crew member while the vessel was rotating. Weather was good and conditions were clear with 10-mile visibility as the ship was approaching the pier, and the report found that the bridge team should have seen the dock extension and maneuvered the boat accordingly. They also had radar technology and cameras available to assist with their approach, but instead relied too heavily on their electronic charts to determine the vessel's relative position to the pier. You can read the full NTSB report on our website at kcaw.org. For the first time ever, the Assembly has declared June Pride Month in Sitka, affirming, quote, the rights of all members of the LGBTQIA community to live their authentic lives. Pride Month began to commemorate the June 1968 Stonewall Uprising, a series of protests in Lower Manhattan after police raided the Stonewall Inn. The first Pride marches were held a year later in cities across the country. It is largely considered a historic turning point in the fight for LGBTQ rights in the United States. The resolution affirming June as Pride Month locally comes little over a week after the advocacy group Human Rights Campaign declared a national state of emergency, following a sharp rise in both threats of violence and anti-LGBTQ bills signed into law this year. Assemblymember Crystal Duncan mentioned that development to stress the urgency of passing the resolution supporting the community. This is not a great time to feel um, lack of protection, especially from government bodies, which was really concerning to me. So um, I mentioned that I wanted this to serve as a statement to members of the LGBTQIA plus community here in Sitka that um, we are not here to oppress you. Our job as a, a body that represents the city of Sitka is to build relationships with this community. And so I'm going to use an example. We say that we have unlocked doors. They're welcome to come in. And yet, if you've been harmed by government structures in policy or through actions, through even statements that are made, it's difficult for you to feel welcomed within that government that's supposed to serve all of us equally. Co-sponsor Tor Christensen agreed. And, and if anybody says this isn't relevant right now, just look at the news. Look at the way people from this community are being attacked across the country, in our own state. Uh, and the misinformation, and honestly, it disgusts me what I'm seeing in the news about, and 
I would like to think that we would, this would be an unnecessary thing to, to state our support, but it's not. The resolution passed unanimously. Sitka's Mount Edgecombe volcano is coming under closer scrutiny this summer as research teams follow up on the earthquake swarm which occurred under the mountain in the spring of last year and satellite data that show the flanks of the peak steadily inflating since about 2018. While no eruption is imminent, scientists from the Alaska Geophysical Institute in Fairbanks recently spent a few days on the flanks of the crater and on surrounding beaches, collecting information which they hope sheds light on what's brewing beneath the surface. KCAW's Robert Woolsey reports. Don't you let go. You've probably seen it a few times. Gollum and the One Ring have plunged into the lava river at the bottom of Mount Doom, and Samwise is trying to pull Frodo back before he suffers the same fate. Luckily, hobbits have a body chemistry more favorable to heroics inside a volcano. If it had been Aragorn or any of the other human characters in Lord of the Rings helping to destroy the ring, they might have been long gone, passed out in the high concentration of carbon dioxide gas produced in this environment. CO2 can't be smelled or seen, but a team of scientists from the Alaska Geophysical Institute knows how to detect it. Six of them spent a few days helicoptering between Sitka and Mount Edgecombe in early June, testing the soil of Kruzoff Island for CO2. I caught up with them at the Sitka airport, waiting for a break in the weather. So today, hopefully, the weather is looking good, so we're hoping to make it to uh, the summit of Edgecombe today. Um, And we're hoping to measure diffuse CO2, those same CO2 measurements we've been taking along the flanks of the volcano. Uh, And then if we could get inside the crater, We'd like to take some measurements there. However, it's unclear if it's snow-free right now. Claire Pulio is a doctoral student at the University of Alaska Fairbanks under research assistant professor Tarsilo Girona. Girona has a theory that low-temperature thermal anomalies detected by satellite data suggest increased activity in magma that may be a precursor to an eruption. The same CO2 that would make a volcano inhospitable to Aragorn could possibly be warming the flanks of Mount Edgecombe. One of the hypotheses we have to, to understand those signals is that the gas that is moving from the mama source to the surface is producing this warming in the surface. Girona and Pulio are two of the six members of the team from the Alaska Geophysical Institute studying gas emissions on Mount Edgecombe. The project is funded by NASA as part of a program for early career scientists. They're tackling the problem on two fronts, in the air and on the land, or better said, in the land. Carlo Cardellini is from the University of Perugia in Italy. He's helped develop the method for collecting gas from the soil using a device called an accumulation chamber. But he's got a slightly more flavorful metaphor. And we place a chamber on the top of the soil. It's like a cooking pot. And we leave leave the concentration of carbon dioxide increase inside the chamber. And the rate of increasing is something that is linked to the amount of gas that is passing from the soil to the atmosphere. So we are catching this increase and we can compute how much gas is escaping from the soil. Cardellini uses an infrared sensor that continuously measures the concentration of CO2 in the cooking pot, if you will. But he also collects samples to take back and study in the lab. CO2 produced by magma will have a different isotopic signature than CO2 produced by organic decomposition. 
and there is a lot of organic decomposition on the slopes of Mount Edgecombe, which are primarily wetlands. For the bigger picture, you've got to be airborne. Taryn Lopez is a volcanologist with the Alaska Volcano Observatory. While the others are sampling the slopes of the crater, she'll be overhead doing what is called a gas flight. Some gases exolve, which means they form bubbles really deep, um, such as CO2, where things like water and SO2, which are common volcanic gases, exolve very shallow. What we're looking for is the composition of the gases. If we see gases and if we see the composition, we can tell if the magma is deep or shallow. This is the first morning of several that the team has been in Sitka, that the rim of the Mount Edgecombe crater is visible, 3,200 feet above Sitka Sound, and the helicopter pilot is ready to fly. Tarsilo Girona tells me that all the data and information collected by the Geophysical Institute team will be published in several papers and shared with the Alaska Volcano Observatory, which is sending its own team to Mount Edgecombe later this summer. And hopefully, Girona said, we can better understand how the volcano works. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Robert Woolsey. The U.S. Supreme Court has ruled to uphold the Indian Child Welfare Act. In a 7-2 vote, it rejected claims that the law was racist and unconstitutional. Julie Kitka, president of the Alaska Federation of Natives, said in a statement that Alaska Native and American Indian tribes have been anxiously awaiting this decision. She said, quote, The wait is over and the victory is ours. Our ways of life will continue through our children. Congress passed ICWA in 1978 to protect the rights of Native American and Alaska Native children who were being removed from their homes in alarming numbers. ICWA gives tribes oversight of adoptions and requires that children be placed, whenever possible, within their extended family or tribe or another tribe. It was challenged by several states and white couples seeking to adopt Native children who argued that ICWA was a form of discrimination. Justice Amy Coney Barrett wrote the majority opinion, which which leaves the law intact. The justice wrote that although the issues are complicated, the court has rejected all of the challenges against it. She cited more than a century of precedent and the plaintiff's lack of standing on the issues. For the hundreds of tribes that fought efforts to overturn ICWA, the decision is a huge win. They argued that ICWA keeps families and tribes intact, as well as maintains culture and tradition, and is vital in preserving the tribes themselves. Justices Samuel Alito and Clarence Thomas dissented. Thomas wrote in his dissenting opinion that the majority of the bench had allowed the federal government to overstep its powers by displacing state authority to regulate child custody proceedings. I'm Brooke Schaefer, and this has been Raven News. Mm-hmm.